This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Hello, hello, hello. What's up, Kyle? Kyle. What's up, Jen? Hey, how's it going, guys? We all just got to hang out in Colorado for a little bit together in person, real in-person time together. It was pretty great. It was great. It was great. We we dreamed up all sorts of cool things. And, uh, you know, we also ate too much food and talked too much. My voice was hoarse by the end of the weekend. Um, I'm sure JT, I mean, JT lost his voice because he's exactly like he is on this podcast, which is a nonstop talker, uh, talking over <laughs> Jen true. and I constantly. That's true. So. So so Kyle came in, he taught at the Storyland Institute, he preached on Sunday, and I've got to be honest, Kyle, I've heard you preach 15, 20 times, I've heard you teach hundreds of times, I've heard you preach 10, 15 times, something like that, you preached one of the best sermons I've ever heard. Oh, wow, thanks, It man. was really, really good. Uh, Thank you. And there's, I got to be honest, there's a spiritual part of that, and there's a fleshly part of that. I was really hoping you'd preach a clunker, so that my church was like... <laughs> that's how I, that's, when I have a guest, I'm like, ah, gosh, I hope they tank this thing. <laughs> All of my church was like, oh my gosh, this guy's incredible. I'm like, I know, I know he's incredible. No, it was great, man. You pre- It was Romans 5, 1, just one verse, and you you just did a great job, brother. It was good to see you. And also, we had some spouse involvement. Yes, so Lauren and Jeff and Macy, we hung out, had some great food. And I think it's safe to say our sp- each of our spouses are demonstrably better than us at life. <laughs> oh, no doubt about that. We also had a really interesting conversation, which is going to get us into this text. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle knows it's coming. We had a conversation at dinner one night where Kyle is is preparing for the end of the world. As if I'm, not, sensational. I'm not preparing for the end of the world. That is a gross overstatement. I have a plan if things go bad. Mm-hmm. You do. You do. And what does your plan involve? Like, just give us some hints. I, I mean, you need food, you need water, you need shelter, and you need defensive mechanisms. <laughs> That's it. And I feel like, listen, if you're if you're saving money for retirement, you're making plans for when things maybe don't go the way yeah. you think they will. This is just a different kind of retirement and investment strategy where you have some stuff that you could use in the event that that stuff is hard to come by. Mm-hmm. And I think ha- that's Have you reasonable. by chance ever clicked on a link of a bullet maker? Okay, actually, I'm not going <laughs> to say anything about that on a recording and <laughs> You should. That was JT English to all of the uh, the agents that listen in on this. I have. I can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, and uh, yes, let's move through that part of the conversation immediately. Uh, all um, I could well, think the, the whole text time is going to help you think about this. Like all the, the whole time Kyle was talking, I, I just kept thinking: in any apocalyptic scenario, I am the first person that you boil and eat, so I don't even have to worry about any of this. Like I'm, I'm the clearly the expendable crew member, but I applaud you, Kyle, for your your preparation qualities. Yep. And also another prepared. Another really I want to say a sweet thing that Kyle did too, because also Kyle, I think I owe you an apology for attaching a small furry animal to your to your identity for perhaps the rest of your life. I did not mean for that Mm, to happen. But what Kyle did, this was so sweet. My mother recently passed away. I think most of our listeners know that. And Kyle put together a book for me. He had gone back to her college and he contacted them and got uh, made a book of every article she'd ever written for her school newspaper, all the pictures of her in her yearbook. It was precious. It is the sweetest thing. So Kyle, props to you. 
Well, I didn't start in on that line of conversation to get uh, that kind of encouragement. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we don't have to talk about Kyle the Koala any longer. <laughs> we don't have to talk about prepa- uh, prepping any longer. Uh, and, and I just, for our listeners it's who are preppers. It's definitely Kyle wanna, the Koala. It's Kyle Walla. Oh, oh, gosh. I, I definitely want to tell any of our, <laughs> our, our prepper audience, I do not want you to DM me your recommendations. Okay? <laughs> I don't... I do not want to be on any watch list. I don't want, please do not DM me anything. Don't message me. Let's not talk about it in public. I don't want to talk to you about it. I just want to be clear. Um, uh, okay. Today, Romans 11, 25 through 36. That is what we're looking at in our just continued journey through Romans. Uh, and so we're going to look at Romans 11, 25 through 26, uh, 36. Last episode, we did 1 through 24. There's plenty to talk about here, so we'll jump into it. I will read it for us, and then we will get going. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. 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 Um, all right. I have a feeling that JT is going to, he's got some bear traps out there for me (laughs) um, in this passage, but let's just start in verse 25 when he says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. What's the mystery? What mystery does he not want them to miss here? What's the big thing that he's been trying to get them to see? Because Romans 9, 10, and 11 have kind of been developing, and I don't want to get into the specifics of where we'll disagree. Let's stay, let's stay. Yeah broad and then we'll we can start narrowing down but what is the big mystery that Paul's saying I don't want you to miss this yeah I think the clear mystery and again just to remind our listeners this church in Rome is dealing with friction and factions between Jews and Gentiles and I uh, my take on the exegesis of this passage is the mystery is is that God has brought salvation to all through the person and work of Jesus Christ that's a shocking word to both Jews and to Gentiles so Paul is unifying them in the good news that is available only in Jesus it's not found in pagan rituals, and it's also not found in Jewish rites and symbols. It's found in a person, and his name is Jesus. He is the eternal Son of God who has come to save all sinners from their sins and provide them salvation to God the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit, which is available only in one place. So this mystery, which, and he's talked about this, has been hidden for generations, has now been revealed in the person of Jesus. So broadly, the mystery is salvation has come not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. That's right. And that that this salvation is surprising that it would come to Mm -hmm. anyone at all. And it it could be particularly surprising for the Jewish audience because it may be harder for them to imagine Gentile inclusion and the promises originally entrusted Mm -hmm. to them. 
Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Okay. So in verse 26, Paul says something and he says this kind of, he says it a couple of different ways in this passage. And and I got to be honest, I don't know necessarily how to respond to it, but he says in this way, all Israel will be saved. Later on, he's going to say, for God has consigned What does that verse say? Uh And in this way, all Israel will be saved. See, I couldn't even, we're not eight and a half minutes into this episode, but (laughs) let me finish my thought and then you can throw your flag on the field. Verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Now, now straight up, let me, this isn't saying that everyone's going to be saved, is it? No, no, I don't think so. Does everyone of any, does every person of any people group get saved? That's not, that's not my understanding of the gospel. No. (laughs) So God hasn't promised salvation to all of one specific group. And he has not promised salvation to all people, past, present, and future, all times and all places. Yes? Yeah. All, all, all people who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Well, But there are those who will not call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be well, saved. But we have, we right. have evidence of that in this chapter, right? Because if you look back at verse 14, it says, In order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So we know that mm. not all Israel, that all Israel does not mean every ethnic Jew. That's right. 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 So let me just ask it like this. Are these promises that Paul talks about here? Uh, he says it, and JT, I know you were waiting to get to this verse, but verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So does, what does that mean? If not all Israel is going to be saved, by that we mean all ethnic Jews, then how is God not failing on his promises if he doesn't deliver it to all of them? Yes, I think the what, what Paul is ultimately concerned about here is not anthropology, which would be the doctrine of humanity or ethnicity or race. He's he's secondarily concerned about that. He's also not concerned about soteriology, though that is what he's talking about here. Like he's talking about Jew and Gentile relations as it relates to the doctrine of salvation. He's ultimately concerned about the integrity of the doctrine of God. What does it look like for God to be merciful? And what does it look like for God to be faithful to the promises that he's given to Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and so forth in the covenants of redemption that he's promised them? And so what he wants to be clear about is that God is not doing something new this is what God has been doing since since the foundation of the world. And God is not, he's not like concerned or anxious about how salvation history is playing itself out, which means we shouldn't either, and neither should the church at Rome. But rather, what God has been doing from the beginning is irrevocable, and his calling on his people who place their faith in Jesus is also irrevocable. I'm pretty sure that word is irrevocable, and I wasn't going to say that till you both said it irrevocable, but now I'm dying a little inside every single time you say it. Hang on. Whoa, so when you whoa, say whoa, when you whoa, say revoke, do you what did you say the word irrevocable? Is? Irrevocable. What you do, when you say rev, revoke, you say a uh, revoke. Let's just look it up, shall we? I'll just Google it while you guys are fighting about whether the Jews are all going to be saved. <laughs> we're, we're actually not fighting at all. I'm saying when something is revoked, is it revoked or is it revoked? Um, oh, I'm, I'm, let's see, JT. Which of us do you think is more likely to get this right? I think. Oh, I think there you're it is. Searching right. Irrevocable. I think you're searching. Mm. I, no, you no, you can't do that. You're not even showing us any evidence for this. Listen, you say tomato, I say tomato. Uh, we both are arguing over who is Israel. You know uh, let's see. They have not been revoked or revoked. Oh, here no. it is. can you hear that? Let me just can I get can Jan get her phone to play it louder? Can you hear it? Mm, it's not very loud, is it? That was that was revocable. No, he said irrevocable. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to move us off of this, and we're just going to say that Jen wins this one. That's a hashtag Jen win. Um, Oh, can we get that started? 
Oh yeah, we should. Yeah. Hashtag gin win. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so, how, so how let, much, let me even how go back. This is about right for Paul. This is about theology proper, which means who is God? What does God do? Has he been faithful? Is he faithful? Like that's the main thrust of the whole passage. I agree with you. Yeah. So has God been been unfaithful, Kyle? Hold on. Let Jen ask her question. <laughs> no, I wanted to frame it up again. I wanted to frame it up again in the way that um, Jesus does, I think, in the in the Gospels. Because if you look at the parables, and you remember, like, people didn't get the parables. Mm-hmm. The Jewish leaders didn't get the parables. And Jesus says that his disciples are the ones who are going to understand them. And if you frame it up again within the framework of the prodigal son, you see actually what JT is talking about coming very clearly into focus because it's not primarily concerned with anthropology. Like it's not, we we focus on one son or the other, right? Um, and and right. it's not primarily focused on soteriology or would you define that for us, JT? Doctrine, Doctrine of, salvation. of salvation. It's It's focused on the father. It's focused on um, the father figure of the story. It's the doctrine of God. And it's who is who is the father and how is the father operating in the lives of both of the sons. Uh, and salvation comes or is available to both of the sons, but both of the sons presents with a mm. different set of uh, obstacles to salvation. And so I think that's what Paul is illuminating for us here. That's good. Yes, I agree. And I do think that it's well said that the primary concern here is whether or not God has failed, mm-hmm. right? And Paul wants to be clear, and I think we owe it to the listeners to be clear about whatever disagreements or squabbles we might have on the specifics of God's faithfulness. There is no question among the three hosts of this podcast that the to the question, is God and was God and has God and will God be faithful to his promises? That question is, the answer is mm-hmm. yes. He has been, he is, and he will be. When we were talking about some of the kind of more granular specific things here is in what way has God been faithful to his promises and to whom did those promises rightly belong? That's the question, I think. And in verses 29 through 32, I once again feel like we're getting some distinction Mm -hmm. here. Maybe I'm wrong. As regards to the gospel, verse 28, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So Paul's, again, contrasting between the Gentiles and the Jews. For their gifts and their calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they, uh, by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So we are we know that this idea of God having mercy on all is not to suggest universalism. It's not to suggest that the proper recipients of all of God's covenantal faithfulness is everyone who has ever lived. Yeah, I, yes? I think the I think the the statement that kind of like shapes the way we read this is back in verse twenty five when it speaks of the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. So in other words, there will be a complete work that will happen. There will be a fullness to what happens. And so then the words all and every are attached to that idea as a as a way mm-hmm. of talking about it, but they're to be understood within that idea that there is a fullness to what God is doing. And and so honestly, I kind of lose interest in the conversation past that. I mean, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. interesting to bat it around, I guess, but I think that the overarching theme here is everybody that God 
is going to save is going to be saved. And he's true to his promises. And his promises have been saying that all along, whether it was clear to the Jewish leaders or not, uh, whether it is even clear to the Gentiles, um, that that's the mystery that is being that is being um, unraveled before their eyes. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not interested in trying to count the number great or mm-hmm. small, but I do think that a plain reading of this text could lead somebody to go, well, hold on. I, uh, it does seem like you're saying God has consigned all to disobedience because we're saying the problem of unrighteousness and sin affects everyone. So if the next clause in that sentence is that he may have mercy on all, there could be confusion of going, well, if all are consigned to disobedience and in the next clause, all are going to receive mercy, then is this the same all from the first set or is it a different Well, all? and that's why we study passages like this in the context of the chapters surrounding them and in the context of the book as a whole, because you can't possibly think that if you've read the whole thing, which is why I love doing whole books of the Bible. The CSB Life Counsel Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. Ten Women Who Changed the World is Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. Ten Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Now, I do think that one of the things that continues to come up even now and, um, is really the question of, okay, yes, God is faithful to his promises, but who are those promises entrusted to? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like Paul here is trying to help the Gentiles and Jews understand, listen, the Gentiles and the Jews are both recipients of these promises. Is Is it fair to just say that? Or is one of them still uniquely the heir of these promises? It feels like Paul saying, hey, Gentiles, hey, Jews, you both are the recipients of God's covenant faithfulness not as ethnic categories, but as groupings of people who profess faith in Christ uh, and receive the blessings entrusted to him. Is there something more here though? (laughs) I mean, I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. I just feel like, I I feel like I've been very clear about where my cards are at on this. And I'm, I feel like JT, you and I are still not on the same page. No, I think we are. I think what we're trying to do, I think you and I, if we were to like write down a doctrinal statement, I think we'd end up agreeing on the exact same thing. What we would probably disagree upon here is not like what what meal we're having, but like what what like final spice to put on it, and not like what spice, but like how much of it. You know, I, I think the reason that I tend to push a little bit here is is not because I have a specific soteriological or doctrine of salvation category or ethnic category for those who would be saved, but because I really want to emphasize the faithfulness of God. I want to emphasize that God's promises do not fail. The recipients of those promises receive them because God is faithful, because he has given them, and because he will complete them. 
And so, you know, when you think about, I mean, verse 29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You've got Jews who have been participants in, you know, synagogue since they were little boys and little girls who've now come to faith in Jesus. And they're sitting in this church listening to Phoebe and Paul wants them to say, amen. You've also got the Gentile craftsmen who maybe came to faith in Jesus just a few years ago because of a traveling missionary coming through through Rome. And Paul says, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable or irrevocable. There it is. And there it is. Yeah. And Paul wants them to say amen. And so like what he's not doing here in, in what I think could be clear from the storyline of Romans so far is he doesn't want one of these two groups of people to say amen and not the other. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Right. Like he doesn't want Jews in the audience to say like, yeah, that's right. The gifts and calling of God are irrevoc- irrevocable. Uh, <laughs> therefore, you know, uh, you Gentile people who, you know, have tried to enter in later or or the opposite way. He really is trying to say, and we'll, we'll get to this in a minute, like I love Paul's theology of questions around the doctrine of God at the end of this passage that makes up a, a doxology, you know, the depths of the riches. How unsearchable is he? His judgments are inscrutable and his ways unknowable. For who's known God? Like, so he, what Paul is trying to get both groups of people to do is to lift their gaze mm-hmm. from the anthropology that is encircling Rome mm-hmm. right now about mm-hmm. what it means to be Jew and Gentile. And he's trying to lift their eyes to say, stop looking at each other and look yeah. up to the faithfulness of God. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I'm glad you brought it up because that's where we need to go. Because on first look, somebody might go, well, these verses kind of come out of nowhere. But after, hopefully now, after hearing multiple episodes of us scratching our head and pulling out what little hair we have left, speaking for me, <laughs> not for these two. Are there Beautiful such things as, is there such things as bald koalas? Uh, well, we'll find uh-oh. out. Um <laughs> But if you if you just see this as its kind of own unit in chapter 11, you, you wouldn't be at fault for feeling like, well, that kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. Uh-huh. But after spending a lot of time in 9, 10, and 11, it right. feels very mm-hmm. appropriate by the time that Paul gets here, which is like, who knows the mind of our God mm-hmm. and who could be his counselor? Like, hey, JT and Kyle, you're not going to figure this out probably. Right. And God is great. And surprise, surprise, Paul's kind of acknowledging too, like this has to kind of lead us to a worship of God's grandeur. Right. That's, that's exactly. It. Okay, but yeah, that's that's the whole point. I also have a confession to make at this point, uh, JT. I think you will enjoy hearing this. Like after spending all of this time in these chapters, going back and forth between the Jew and Gentile, Jew and Gentile thing, I actually feel like I'm in a place where I'm like, you know what? I'm not really sure. Like I would have, I would have said this was very cut and dried before spending a lot of time in the Book of Romans, and now I'm like, I don't know. It does seem like there's some future thing that keeps getting referenced out there for the Jews, and so just for whatever it's worth for our listeners, you know, obviously this is not like a this is not a matter of orthodoxy on where you land on this, and um, I can say mm-hmm. that I moved um, from one position to where I was when I started studying the Book of Romans up close like this, and I can feel myself moving even a little more, I would say, toward the center on this. I probably have been to the left and to the right mm. on this issue. And now I'm to a place where I'm like, uh, it does feel like a mystery to me. It does. I, I can feel the mystery of it. And so mm. when we hit this doxology here, I, f- I think I feel a little bit more. It's like, gosh, praise God that he chose any of us. Um, and, yeah. uh, but, but, yeah, but you're right. I mean, when you just pick this out, which so many, how many sermons have we heard over verses 33 through the end of the chapter? And they, I don't think they hit you the way that they should, and, unless you've battled through, um, 
the first mm. 11 chapters of the book. Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And the the things that are celebrated for God here are his majesty mm-hmm. and his knowledge, his his might, his wisdom. It's all the things that you feel very lacking in by the time you get to this section of Paul's letter. It's like, well, look at God. I mean, who who could even consider his mind? Who could be his counselor? Even the gift language that's used here. We we talked a lot about this last season, but that gift language is used throughout Romans as yeah. kind of a it's uh it's grace language. When you see gift language in the New Testament, it's also grace language and, and vice versa. And so this idea, who is given a grace to him that he would be repaid? It's so the idea here is almost in this passage, you're getting the last three or four chapters and Paul's doxology, his response to them, the worship of uh, what this has led him to here. Can I say something cool about this? Yeah. Okay. It's it's awfully close to a chiasm, and I know you guys can be kind of jerks about that, so I'm just letting you know. Give me a break for a second and watch how pretty this is. So basically when Paul constructs this, you know, he's pulling from some Old Testament sources, but he's kind of doing a mashup when he when he pulls them into the doxology. But he starts with, oh, the depth of, and then he, he mentions three things. He mentions riches, wisdom, and knowledge, right? That's what you get right there in verse 33. Um, and then he goes into verse 34, and he says, for who has known, so that's knowledge, the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, that's wisdom, or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid, that's riches. So he backs his way in and out of the idea, riches, wisdom, knowledge, and then knowledge, wisdom, and riches. And I just think that's really cool. Like he does this nice little parallel thing um, so that his, mm-hmm. I think, I think the reason that things like that are in here is so that someone who's just listening to this letter be read is going to be able to retain it better because of the memory tool. Yeah, I like that. That's, I think that's beautiful. Yeah, I had never seen that before. Yeah, it's well, it's definitely a celebration of the mm-hmm. mind of God. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like it represents, it's not a, there's a definite change after this point mm-hmm. in the letter. And you're going to, I mean, you notice that immediately. We're going to, next episode, we're going to spend all of our time in Romans 12, 1 through 2. But this is, it's not the end of what he has, has to say, because, you know, there are more chapters here. But he is going to shift his focus, right? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, he's shifting it to ethics ultimately. And a lot of common, it's not just ethics broadly, but it's like now Church of Rome, here's how you should live. And that's why I think it's really important that he ends this way is you've got, I just I just said, you know, this, this Jewish family has been attending synagogue since they were kids or this Gentile craftsman. And they're in this, it's important, they're in this room. Like imagine being in that room together mm-hmm. and all of their eyes are being lifted up to the beauty, the glory, mm-hmm. and the and this doxology of God. And that is what changes how we live. Right now, they're fighting an anthropological fight of, well, we're Gentiles and we're going to live this way, and we're Jews and we're going to live this way. And Paul is saying anthropology doesn't ultimately dictate how you're, you ought to live. Theology mm-hmm. dictates how you ought to live. Mm-hmm. If God mm-hmm. is wise, if God is our counselor, if God is the one who provides these riches of wisdom to us, then we follow him to learn how to live not the anthropological categories that have been given to us as humans. And so he's he's bringing this point of all will be saved who place their faith in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Therefore, give God glory forever. And now he's going to go through almost this doctrine of the Christian life, mm-hmm. which is if you're thinking about a sermon, it's like the application points. 
like Paul is about to, and of course it's rich with theology still, but he's going to start telling them like, so love one another, mm-hmm. pursue yeah. unity together, pursue humility right. together because of who God mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And this, yeah. this picture he gives of God is, I mean, you know, he's, he has utilized questions throughout the book of Romans um, and his whole by no means thing that he said over and over again. And he's finished asking his own set of questions, but here right. he introduces some questions that have been asked uh, in the oldest promises in the scripture. Right. And he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? And the answer is of course, course, no one, you know, who has been his counselor, no one who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. No one. I mean, this is Israel uh, saying who is like our God, Uh, you know, no one, there's no one like him. You can't give him information that he lacks. You can't give him advice that he needs. What do you Mm -hmm. give to the, to the person who has everything? Nothing you can give him. So, and so there's nothing that we can bring to him that, that makes us worthy of his salvation. And yet from him and through him and to him are all things. Including our salvation. Amen. That's exactly right. Amen. Well, uh, on our next episode, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And you'll notice very quickly that Paul is going to shift his focus in his exhortation as we move into the back third of the letter to the church in Rome. Hey, listen, if you like Knowing Faith and you want to find us online, you can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast. You can check us out and find some behind the scenes stuff and some other cool features over at patreon.com slash knowing faith. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace.